Going, everybody. Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. My usual co-host, Tim Jensey, unfortunately not here for a second week once again. And it's kind of sad because we've got a fully loaded episode for you this evening. We've got top of the air. We've got four games. We. Who who is that? That can't be who I think it can be. But, but it is! It's the Nature Boy! The Nature Boy is here! On the third line plug sense cast! Nature Boy, it's a real honor. What brings you onto the show this evening? Well, just like the man, Johnny Cash himself. I've been everywhere, man. Been jet flying, Rolex wearing, limousine riding... Working the circuit since my goat versus goat match in Ottawa, Canada. Well, Nature Boy, I mean, I have to say that was a hell of a match you put on in that goat versus goat match. But that still doesn't explain what brings you on to our humble little podcast here. Let me tell you. Woo! I'm here today to let everyone know that me, the 16-time world champion, kiss, stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun. Is a fan of Ottawa's newest and hottest attraction, the real American himself, Brady Kachuk. You could say that I am a Kachukamaniac. Boy, I remember working the St. Louis territory back in the day and going shot for shot and raising hell with Brady's big pop. Well, Nature Boy, I'm sure Brady will be happy to hear that you're a Kachukamaniac. Awesome. That really means a lot. Thanks for coming on. I just want to say to the all, all those fine folks in Ottawa, Canada, you better appreciate Brady because he's going to be here for the long haul. I'd like to take him under my wing and turn him into a true champion. Turn him into another Rolex-wearing, jet-flying, kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing son of a gun. Woo! Wow. I mean... Just like what me and Gene always said, you know, he's anything but humble. Damn. Tim, it's great to have you back, buddy. How are you? Uh, it's good to be back. Honestly, pretty good. I uh, have some actual wins to talk about, so that makes things a lot easier. And uh, definitely did have quite a bit of fun down in Rochester, New York, of all places. Well, let's get right into that. Let's talk about your week, because last week you weren't on the show... Because you were in Rochester, New York. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so basically uh, I was playing an an, in an anime trading card game turn, national level tournament. So the card game is called Vice Schwartz. It's, uh, they make sets based off different anime shows and you play them together. It's a pretty fun game. And best player in Calgary. So I got invited to go play in nationals in Rochester. Okay, how many years has this tournament been going on, Tim? Uh, I think this is the, I want to say, sixth annual. Okay, do they go from, yeah. do they go around 
pick in every different cities, or do they stick with Rochester nope. every year? Just Rochester. Okay. And getting to Rochester is a pain in the ass. How do you have to fly? Do you have to fly to Toronto like, and travel to Rochester, or go from Buffalo to Rochester? So, I decide like it's faster to just fly to Toronto and then take the train or the Greyhound down. Mm-hmm. But my buddy ended up flying the whole way, and he did the Milk Run. So he started in Calgary, went to went through Chicago, then to Newark, then to Rochester. Okay. So he overshot Rochester. And then on the way back, I think he had to go through, like, Chicago to Minneapolis. Like, the hard thing, though, is just, like, there aren't a lot of flights in and out of Rochester Airport. And there's even fewer. There's only one train in and out of Rochester each day. Right. uh, Going. So the main route, and there's, like, five, like, six or seven uh, Amtrak trains that go to Toronto Union and go to New York City. Okay. But only only one east and one west stops in uh, Rochester. So to get on the one that went from Roche- Toronto to Rochester the first time around, uh, I had to take a red eye from Calgary. Ooh, what time did you and, have to take that up? And this thing was delayed by an hour. Oh, my God. So I, was it another deal I of snow? No, I just don't know what happened. It wasn't even that foggy that night. And I caked myself in about two hours to get to Union Station, which gave me, like, three or four missed train races. Ah, okay. So basically enough time to get breakfast in the airport. By the time I got into Toronto, I had to book it through the terminal. Like, full sprint, and I caught the train I needed to by 30 seconds. Yeah. Did you have the Pokemon theme playing? I want to be the best. No, it was just, like, running, like... You know the Ferris Bueller's day off when you've got like the do-do-do-do as he's trying to get back home That one? Yeah, that that was going through my head as I was just running through the airport. And it was funny, as I was about to get off the plane, like the one behind me was like, oh, can I go in front of you? I have to catch a plane. And I was like, no, I got to catch a train. And the other person was like, yeah, everyone else on this plane does too. And she looked right dumb. But I got to Union Station on time and took the train down to Rochester and... Taking the train's actually quite nice. Oh, yeah? How long did it take you to get from Toronto to Rochester for a train? Uh, four hours. But uh, most of it was spent sitting at the border at Niagara Falls. Ah, right, right, right. Okay, because, you know, they won't just let you willy-nilly cross the border. Well, they basically, they give it enough time for a full tr- them to process a full train of people. Right. But there was only, like, 20 people on the train at most. Okay. Although it was funny because I watched it. I think I watched a guy get denied entry. Ooh, brutal. Although it was the dude's own fault. Because the first thing he does is go out and insult the border guard. Yeah, that's probably not the best thing to do. Yeah, and like throughout the whole time he's yelling at anyone and every, anyone who would listen to him. Like, okay, buddy, you should probably stop doing that right about now. And then he didn't. And then I didn't notice him get back on the train. Hmm. Yeah, because it turns out that border guard... Border guards cannot let you across if they just don't like you. Oh, okay. It turns out they actually have quite a bit of leeway in who they let let across and who they don't. Really? Yeah. Okay, but other than that, everything was pretty good? Yeah. Turns out that there's actually a lot of good restaurants in Rochester. Oh, yeah? Where would you recommend going if anybody was to go to Rochester? Um, Tony D's Pizza is a really good uh, Neapolitan pizza place. And then Dino's Barbecue is fantastic. 
Now, is it as good as the barbecue places we went to, the Stampede, Tim? Um... I mean, come on, that one place with the brisket, that place was great. That place was great. Dino's was really good, too. But, uh, no, I think the barbecue places in Calgary are better, just because they have better local ingredient. Right. But this place was pretty darn good in its own right. So, uh, yeah, like, I was surprised at the quality of food that I got in Rochester. That's awesome. Now, given, like we said, that you weren't on last week's episode, let's talk about last week's episode. How do you feel that Joseph Santa Moore did in your absence? I I thought he did about as well as he could. Yeah, because I know, and I know that we talked to him earlier this evening because we did an interview with him, which, by the way, will be out either Tuesday or Wednesday. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know that he had talked about that he was nervous to start, but... I did feel that he got stronger as the episode went, and I know I went out of my way to really simplify and just straight line everything for him, just so I'm not overwhelming him with everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it definitely looked like once he kind of felt himself out that uh, he was definitely had more to say as the episode went on, that's for sure. Absolutely. And I know, like, even because it's just you and I, and you and I know what we're doing, how to do it, and so we don't really even need to go through it every day. We just kind of know what to do. But since Joseph never did the podcast before, I was like, okay, I'll let him know how we do things, and I'll just try and keep it simple for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I guess the other thing is, like, we've known each other for years as well, so that helps. Mm-hmm. Now, give or take. I mean, there was a break of a couple of years there, but that's not here there anywhere, given how far we've come yep. along. No kidding. Well, Tim, yeah, now that we've got all, all that out of the way, buddy, you know what time it is. Oh, baby. It's time to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Now, i got to say one thing. I listened to the Three Goes No Eight, Four Goes podcast, their latest episode, episode 26, the Blake Wheeler edition, and I couldn't help but notice that Adam did a certain segue into What the Welland. Hmm, what was that, Tay? He said, and I quote, Let's segue into this little segment I like to call What the Welland. Did he even have the nice little bell toll? He did not. Uh, He did have some nice little music cues, but no, didn't have the Peace Tower. Hmm. It's funny, I actually... Spoke to Adam on Twitter about that. I wasn't mad. I just sent. I saw what you did there. Oh, it's just funny. Yeah. Now, the reason why I brought this up is because, once again, we've got to talk about a death. And you know how I feel about deaths and talk theater. I don't like talking about them. And you might actually get away with it. You didn't have to talk about one last week. No. Actually, we only talked about 13 episodes. And the record has been broken. 16 Whoa. stories this week, Tim. Jesus, we got to get going then. Yep. And we're going to start off with Minnesota Wild founding chairman Bob Nagel passed away at age 78 after a hard-fought battle with cancer. Nagel is credited as the most influential man in the NHL's return to Minnesota in 2000 following the North Stars' relocation in Dallas in 1993. Huh. It's a shame, but it's uh, kind of impressive that Minnesota went so long without an NHL team considering how big Minneapolis is and just how much hockey talent act us hockey talent actually does come from the state of Minnesota. Exactly. And I mean, given that Minnesota is the state of hockey and they have the high school hockey tournament every year 
And also, we can't forget that there's that guy on YouTube who does the Minnesota high school hockey flow videos every year. Yeah. I just want to say right now, when you guys come back to Duncan at Christmas, mm-hmm. we should comment on one of those videos for an episode. That would be funny. We've already done it. How, oh, that's right. Yeah, we have already done have we? Yeah, because we did Hockey Hair Part 2, didn't we? Oh, that's right. Yeah. See, this is what happens is that we've done so many episodes at this point that I'm just like, we should do that idea. Okay, we've we already done it. that. Oh. I wouldn't mind doing not getting Chelsea to watch. There's got to be something hockey-related we can get Chelsea to watch. I know. Maybe even um, Goalie Smarts with Guillaume Duclair. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. We'll, we'll brainstorm some ideas. Mm-hmm. So something that we didn't talk about last season, given that nobody got fired. We've got two head coaches that have been fired this week, Tim. Ooh. And we're going to start off with the LA Kings have fired head coach John Stevens after starting the season 4-8-1. Stevens, who took over the LA Kings head coach job in 2017 after seven seasons as an assistant under Terry Murray and Daryl Sutter, posted a 51-39-9 record as head coach of the Kings. John, I just want to say, on behalf of every LA Kings fan, the city of Los Angeles, and the fans of hockey, thank you so much for your service. But with that being said, John, you're fired! <laughs> but, uh, honestly, I'm a little surprised because uh, they just gave the guy nothing of value to work with. No, and you know, I don't even blame John Stevens because LA, I mean, I look at that roster and I'm thinking... Why have they not just torn that down? And I understand that you have all those bad contracts like Dustin Brown that you can't move. But still, I mean, I don't even blame I don't even blame John Stevens for this. I actually blame Dean Lombardi and the LA Kings upper management. Yeah, and the fact that he still had an even record with that roster is frankly impressive. Absolutely. Now he'll probably vi- find another coaching gig soon. Absolutely. Much like the next head coach. Now this, to me, actually came, sort of came out of nowhere. Chicago Blackhawks have fired head coach Joel Quenville after 10 seasons. Quenville joined the Blackhawks in 2008 after coaching stints with St. Louis and Colorado, recorded a record of 452 wins, 249 losses, and 96 overtime losses, and won three Stanley Cups with Chicago in 2010, 2013, and 2015. Once again, Joel... I just want to say thank you once again for your service to the Chicago Blackhawks. You've turned that franchise from the sad sacks of shit that they were into the dynasty that they became. But with that being said, Joel, you're fired! But uh, apparently uh, Joe Quenville's head has been on the chopping block a few times, and as time went on, uh, Bowman and Quenville really stopped seeing eye to eye and uh, apparently some of the more egregious Chicago trades were shots across Joe Quenville's bow. So this was, this firing has been a long time in the making and it's funny because it's sometimes mistakes go slow. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, Joe Quenville, I mean, he's done so much for Chicago that it is still kind of shocking that the Blackhawks have fired him. After 10 seasons, like I said, and I talked to a buddy of mine who's a Chicago fan, and he said he expected this maybe near the end of the season or even next season. But you know what? Joel Quenville, man, he's one of the best head coaches out there now, and he'll definitely jump, fall back on his feet. Oh, for sure. 
And I think he basically gets the pick of the crop, really, about where he gets to go. And from what I've been hearing, uh, just generally from like TSN, Bob, I think this is actually Darren Trigger, is that he wants to go to a contender because he's getting old. Mm-hmm. And he's got the coaching experience to coach veteran players because he did that in Colorado, he did it in St. Louis, and obviously he did that in Chicago. So, yeah, I could see that. But And I know that there was reports that the Blackhawks wouldn't let St. Louis talk to him because Mike Yao is currently on the hot seat in St. Louis after their terrible start. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he goes back to St. Louis, even if Chicago tells him no. But you never know, right? You know, he might end up with any team. Mm-hmm. Except Ottawa. There's no chance we're going to hire him. No, that costs money. It does. What's next? Well, I'll tell you what's next. And it's hard to believe that we really haven't talked much about this, given that they have somewhat stable ownership, I guess. Man, it's like going back 10 years, because we haven't talked about this in a, quite a while. Arizona Coyotes owner, Andrew Barraway is finalizing a deal to sell part of his ownership stake of the Arizona Coyotes. Barraway became majority owner of the Coyotes in 2014 and was reported he is seeking $500 million for a 49, 49% stake of the Coyotes. That's real interesting, and it, I'm surprised that there isn't a name attached to the buyer. I know, I'm actually quite surprised. But yeah, when, I, when you saw the story, didn't you get just a little bit nostalgic and be like, Ah, uh, the Coyotes. That's bringing me back about 10 years here. Yeah, it's back when they were the league's basket case. Yeah. And I guess the hard thing is I haven't really been paying attention to their average attendance, so maybe maybe it's still... Actually, why don't we look that up right now? Because mm-hmm, I think they're uh, still near the bottom with Carolina. Yeah. Because Jersey has uh, improved quite significantly over the past year or two, given that they have made the playoffs and are winning now. Yeah, and it's like it's not like the Arizona Coyotes are a bad team this year. They're actually doing pretty okay, but it's uh, yeah, hockey was a hard sell, and then the teams were shit. Yeah, but I mean, you got to understand when the Coyotes first went to Arizona, they had a good team. Like they had Jeremy Roenick and Keith DeChuck and Nikolai Hobbybullen. Like they had a good team that made the playoffs like three straight years, I think, in Arizona. But after that, and that's the problem with putting teams in the South, is that the fans down in the South, they always want teams that win. And you look at Arizona, you know, the Diamondbacks had these great attendance when they were World Series champions, and now they're barely selling out. The Phoenix Suns are the same way. The Coyotes are the same way. The Cardinals are kind of the same way, too. But, you know, they've had their success. They're doing terrible right now. But Arizona, man, they're just a weird state for sports, all all things considered. Yeah, and it's funny because one thing you can kind of notice with the Coyotes' attendance is that if it's a good team, you'll get like 1,400, 1,500. If it's a shit team, 13, 10. If that. Yeah, so it's like they want to go see good teams. Like the fans, like they're not going to go for a shit team. No, like they're not going to go spend their money to watch... Ugh. Ottawa. Fucking, yeah, Ottawa or Carolina. They're not going to watch those teams. They're going to wait until like a Toronto or a Pittsburgh or hell, even Detroit's got a big fan base down in Arizona. Yeah. Well, I guess the other thing is like building your freaking arena out in Glendale. Like that's quite a, quite the ways from uh, downtown Phoenix. So it's just hard to get to. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we know a thing or two about that, don't we, Tim? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's head on to our next story. Boston Bruins have unveiled their jerseys for the 2019 NHL Winter Classic versus Chicago. Their jerseys are a throwback to the Bruins jerseys worn during the 1930s and then briefly brought back in the 91-92 season for the NHL's 79th anniversary. I'm not going to lie, I kind of dig these jerseys, to be perfectly honest with you, Tim. The old Boston jerseys always looked kind of smart. Yeah. Not wicked smart, but pretty smart. Yeah, they were kind of smart playing at the garden. Yeah. All close to hot. Not actually close to Harvard, but... Close to, close, close to the Kaiseway. Yeah. But that's a funny thing, and you know what? Like you were saying, right? The Bruin jerseys, even in the 30s, were kind of smart looking, but I didn't know how this was going to translate into nowadays, given that you look at some of the Winter Classic jerseys that people have seen with other teams, right? You saw that in Detroit, Toronto, Chicago, Pittsburgh, Washington. You saw it with some of their jerseys, and you're just like, ugh, those aren't very nice. But the Boston ones, I'm glad that they're kind of going back into their history and looking at a jersey that, all things considered, it could be worse. It could be that fucking Winnie the Pooh head. Yeah, no kidding. Jesus Christ. Well, at least Ottawa. Ottawa hasn't missed on either of their Winter Classic jerseys, so let's let's count our blessings. Yeah, even though, I mean, Montreal, they didn't either, but their jerseys were just a little too white for me. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Speaking of jerseys, the NHL have entered into a brilliant partnership with EA Sports and Adidas in which the two companies will work together to create all new jersey designs in Electronic Arts NHL series. EA and Adidas will begin this endeavor with a new take on the jerseys of the NHL's original six franchises. I'm a little surprised they weren't working together before, to be honest. Yeah. But I guess it's the way she goes. Yeah, Maybe we'll get to see some video game inspired jerseys on real life teams. Maybe, because I know that I had a look at them. And really, it's funny that we're talking about uh, the Bruins Winter Classic jerseys because the one design that they had kind of looks like that. Would you wear a top, NES Top Gun Winnipeg Jets jersey? Ooh. Maybe a Minnesota Wild inspired Battletoads jersey. Ooh. Let's actually talk about a good game instead of that hunk of shit. <laughs> What's wrong with Battletoads? Oh, sorry, I meant... Sorry, I was referring to Top Gun. Oh, I was like, what are you hating on Battletoads for, buddy? Battletoads? Battletoads is lit. But, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what we actually get out of uh, EA's back catalog. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, yeah, like I said, it would be interesting to see. I mean, there is some, you know, some things from the old NHL games I wish they brought back. But, you know, EA's not going to listen to us. Go... They don't even listen to Buddy half the time. Nope. Let's go on to our next story. NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly admitted during a radio interview with TSN's 1050 that the NHL could one day have teams in Europe. This news is coming on the heels of the NHL Board of Governors meetings in December to see if any if Seattle gets approved for an expansion franchise. The only way I could see this working is if they somehow do something similar to like Euro or UEFA, like the UEFA Championship Series. Oh, yeah? Because, like, just the trap, like, if you had, like, European teams in the mix of the regular season, that'd be ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you know, travel in the NHL is tough enough. Imagine if you're traveling seven, eight, nine hours over to Europe for a game. 
Yeah, like imagine if Van- like whenever like Vancouver goes to play in like the Europe series. Mm-hmm. That's that's a sh- that's a very long. It's a very, very, very long trip, and it shows. Like teams that go to Europe rarely do well the season they go. No, except if you're Ottawa, unless you know, they may end up losing Kyle Turris and that. Yeah, or you're Ottawa, and then that's the season you have Alex Ald as your goalie. Oh, but uh, like Alex they did, like Ald. some sort of UEFA tournament where you take like the top of the North American NHL and the top of the European uh, hockey leagues, and then just have them do like. A round robin, then top cut, single elimination tournament. Right. I'd watch the shit out of that because UEFA Champions League is awesome. Yeah, I don't know if I would watch that. To be perfectly honest with you, just given how long the NHL season is and with the time differences in Europe, this would be great if they're trying to build an audience in, say, the UK or Germany or Finland or some of these other countries, right, where the NHL's not as prevalent. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously Finland is. Kind of in Finland, Sweden are kind of the exception to that because of all the talent that's come over. And Russia is the same way, but Russia's got the KHL as well. Mm-hmm. But like that's the thing is like if there's going to be NHL teams in Europe, you're not going to have like the European teams in the freaking regular season. That'd be untenable. No, but I do like your idea from a couple of weeks back. We do kind of like another summit series. We do the NHL versus the KHL. Yeah. Well, yeah, you could do like summit series or yeah. There's a lot of stuff you could do. Yeah, maybe we can get the ball rolling on that, Tim. <laughs> we're all, we're always ready, NHL. Yep. Los Angeles Kings executive Luke Robitaille stated that he believes ticket prices for NHL games could actually decrease after decades of steady increases. Robitaille believes that this could happen with a run of you made from sports gambling. What's interesting is Luke Robitaille is basically suggesting that hockey tickets are price elastic. So, in economics, you have a concept of pre- of elasticity. That's how responsive something is to change. So, if you have tickets that have high supply elasticity, that means that as you cut prices, more people buy tickets. Right. And more people buy them in such a way that you increase profit by cutting prices. Okay. That would be something that's supply elasticity. Well, something that's inelastic, you cut prices, more people buy them. But the demand, the amount of people who buy stuff isn't as high, so you don't get as high of an increase of people buying it, so you lost money by cutting prices. What Luke Robitaille is basically suggesting there is that tickets are – he thinks tickets in some, some way are price elastic. And you know what? For some markets, like major cities like LA, that might not – that might be reasonable. Yeah, now given now that LA is – challenging teams like the Lakers and the Dodgers and even the LA Rams when it comes to fan interest. Oh, for sure. Well, say Toronto, I imagine that the tickets are completely in, sorry, it's demand inelastic. If you cut the price of the ticket, you won't change demand because you're already selling out. So there's no point for like Toronto to change their ticket prices, but for teams like LA, Ottawa, yeah, there might be, he might He's probably right about supply elasticity. Okay. And because I don't see like a business organization cutting prices just because they're getting additional revenue unless they think there's a chance for them to make more money, right? Right. So, yeah, he's basically I think he's kind of on the side making the supply elasticity argument and for a lot of for some teams I think it's probably right. Okay. 
Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it kind of does. I mean, I don't really have much to say because I'm not, you know, all that informed with the fancy math and fancy terms that you're using right now. So the only thing I could really do is just go on to the next story because I got nothing to add here. Well, I mean, yeah, like, that also is four years of schooling. Los Angeles Kings have also added former NHLer Adam Oates as a coaching consultant. Oates, who had a 22-season Hockey Hall of Fame career as a player, had a brief coaching career in the NHL with the Washington Capitals as their head coach, as well as assistant coach of the New Jersey Devils and Tampa Bay Lightning. Oates has established himself as the top skills development coach in all of hockey since leaving his Devils post in 2015. I mean... That's great and all, but if your team has cobwebs and probably goes to bed in a coffin, I'm not sure what skills development's actually going to do. Yeah, but I mean, Adam Oates was one of those guys, like, just, he was one of the most underrated players in hockey, and you look at his stats, and you're just like, how did this guy never become, like, a huge, huge superstar during his career, and if he can somehow translate that into coaching players and how to do that kind of stuff, I think he's great. But I'm a little weary given his, when he was a head coach and even his assistant coach jobs, he Uh had a tendency to be a bit stubborn and his methods didn't always work, especially in Washington when they missed the playoffs. Yeah. And I guess that's, that's the thing is maybe having him on as a consultant instead of a head coach for pure player development might be the right way to deploy someone like that mm-hmm. and i know that the la kings wanted him as one of their coaches but they settled for him being a consultant so i think this would be better for him and you know it get, takes all a lot of pressure off him as a coach mm-hmm. if he's just a consultant oh totally former nhler steve ban officially became a high school graduate this week Began, who is friends with UFC legend George St. Pierre, began taking online courses after he was challenged by St. Pierre, who is the spokesperson for Challenge You, which is the program Beijing enlisted in. Now, do you know how to pronounce his last name? Is it Began? Nope. Beijing? Began? I don't know. I don't think I can help you there, but honestly, I'm a little surprised he even bothered. Yeah, but, but that's kind of cool. Yeah, but I know he said in uh, the interview is that he? that was something that he wanted to prove to himself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like, you don't really get all that much with a high school diploma these days, so. But, and if you were a former NHLer, you're probably, well, hard to say if you're set or not. Yeah, but then again, you know, you don't get much with a four-year degree either, Some with uh, depending on what you're taking. Yeah, exactly. Take economics. <laughs> Money, fancy math. Money, math. <laughs> Just see a dumb meme image. Yeah, we need to get on that, eh? We need to get on, like, a meme or GIF page for the show. Yeah? Or we have to actually just make some GIFs. Make some GIFs, buddy. Let's head on to our next story. Montreal Canadiens forward Thomas Blacanek announced his retirement following the Canadiens' decision to place him on unconditional waivers for the purpose of terminating his contract. Blacanek, drafted 71st overall in 2001 by Montreal, played 15 seasons in the NHL with Montreal and Toronto, recording 233 goals, 375 assists for 608 points in 1,001 games. 1,001. Honestly, I was a little surprised to see that them cut him instead of just like 
putting him on Robita Island. Well, I know that, and from the report I read, that there was apparently several teams interested in him, and that he's going to yeah. be heading over to Czech Republic. But if there's anything that we can take away from the story, Tim, the turtleneck is officially dead in, the, in hockey. It had an okay run, I guess. It had a pretty good run, you know. It went from Yashin to Placanic. Gretzky kind of wore him there for a little bit. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because he just he played three games a season and that was it. He just had enough. Well, who knows what happened with Mon- the, like Just weird shit happens in Montreal. Yeah, I mean, we've covered that in the show in the past, so... We don't really need to delve back into it. Yeah, and if something, if there was something nasty, it'll probably come out. Yep, just like what happened to Daniel Barrier. Yeah, that was fucky. Oh yeah, former NHLer UC Jokinen has signed a one-month contract with EHC Colton. Jokinen's split last season with four teams: Edmonton, Los Angeles, Columbus, and Vancouver, scoring a career total of 191 goals. 372 assists for 563 points in 951 games with the teams previously stated, as well as Florida, Pittsburgh, Carolina, Tampa Bay, and most notably, the Dallas Stars. That's where I remember him most was with the Dallas Stars. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't even have too terrible of a season last year. No, all things considered, but, you know, what can... I mean, I guess it must have taken a lot out of him bouncing from team to team to team, though. Yeah, no kidding, and at 35, who wants to do that? Yeah, I know. I mean, I know I wouldn't. And it's really funny, because if you look at his uh, point production, it basically just takes off once he gets on to Columbus, and it peaks when he goes on to Vancouver. So just getting away from Edmonton really helped. Yeah. I'm a little surprised that Vancouver didn't bring him on just as a good mentor. Yeah, but I mean, I guess with some of the players that they have there, they're figuring, eh, you know what, maybe we don't need Jokinen as much. And given, I don't know how much he would have wanted for, to come back with the Canucks. But, uh-huh. I mean, I enjoyed him as a player. And I know when the NHL returned in 2005-06, some of those shootout goals he scored, though, was just like, wow. This oh, guy for was sure. something else. I wonder if he comes back as a coach in a few years. Maybe. I hope so. I like UC Okina. Me too. Boston Bruins GM Don Sweeney revealed to the media that goalie Tuka Rask has been granted a leave of absence from the Bruins. Rask requested that the media respect his privacy at the moment. I hope every, everything kind of works out for him. I think so too. Yeah, he's a fantastic player. Like, fantastic goalie. Absolutely. And, and I know even last season, he was one of the reasons that the Bruins got into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we need them to knock the Leafs out again. I know. We need a reason to laugh at the Leafs again. You know, they'd be like, oh, look at us. We've got all these players, and we got this and that and the next thing. Yeah, but did you beat Boston in the first round? Because hmm. you remember who beat them in the first round in 2017? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's right, Toronto. Now what? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I don't know what and to say on that. And it's always fun to style on the Leafs fans. Oh, I know. Speaking of the Leafs, the Toronto Maple Leafs have loaned forward Trevor Moore to the AHL's Toronto Marlies. Moore had recorded 8 goals, 3 assists in 11, for 11 points in 10 games for the Marlies this season. Alright, I mean, that's, that's not all as I could is. say. It was pretty much a nothing story. Yeah, I didn't even know who this guy was. No. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's even played a full 
season, to be honest. Nope. Mon- oh, oh, well. And also, Montreal has recalled for Kenny Augustino from the AHL's Laval Rocket. Augustino had scored 10 points in 12 games for Laval this season. Again, another nothing story that I was just reading it like, eh, I got nothing to say. Pretty much. Okay, Tim, now that we have delayed the inevitable, let's go and talk about the Sens Uber video. The Ottawa Citizen published a shocking expose regarding several Ottawa Senators players appearing to criticize their team and coaching staff in a leaked recording from an Uber driver in Arizona. Chris Wybin and Matthew Shane were the most noted of the players in the video critical of assistant coach Marty Raymond regarding his work on the PK and his coaching methods in the room. All right, let's talk about this because there was no way that we were going to do this episode and not bring this up at all. Well, I mean, it's kind of thrown the whole, well, pretty much anyone talking to the sen- talking about the sense or anything about the sense has been lightning focused on this video. And I know we've said it amongst ourselves, but it's, they're not wrong. No, absolutely not. And even when we talked to Joseph earlier this evening, I said the same thing. I says, you know what? Basically, that video of the player saying it is essentially what we as fans have been saying for the past two seasons. Like, their their PK is absolute dog shit. Their penalty kill was horrible last season. And you know what? They're absolutely not wrong. But I think the only problem, and I said this to somebody I work with, I said the difference between somebody like us saying it and them saying it is that they're in the public eye. Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. It's like, they were expecting that to be a private conversation. Yeah. Like... That sort of recording is, like, that's paparazzi-tier stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like different standards apply here, and, like, it, it was a scummy thing for the guy to release it, and it was kind of shitty for the Ottawa Sun to push it. Um, you mean the Ottawa Citizen? The Ottawa Citizen, yeah. Well, they are both on it. That's true. It's funny, it's funny though, because there's a few things that you really notice, and... The first one is Colin White must have really been into that game of Fortnite or Candy Crush or whatever he was playing. True. Because he's in the back, and they allude to it, but you just see him, like, glued to his phone. Yeah, or he slides into somebody's DMs. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and then, like, you... Another thing I noticed is I think it was uh, Weidman said, it's like, you notice whenever he's going with the video, he's not telling you what to do, he's just narrating. Yeah, and that's not good, right? If you're a head coach, you have to show the video, but also explain what you're trying to coach them. Yeah, otherwise, what's the point of watching the video? Exactly. If you're not teaching anything, and that just really goes and kind of shows you about, like, it. that really explains what we've been seeing out of this team over and over again is just, okay, the team's going back to the same well. Oh, it didn't work. Oh, it's not flexible. Yeah. Okay, they don't really know what the other hand's doing. And it's really interesting. Uh, I was reading The Athletic, and uh, they were pointing out something about the the Ottawa penalty kills. It's actually surprisingly good at dealing with the cycle, but it keeps getting murdered on the rush. And we'll see that in today's games. Yeah, and I mean, and it's funny because even at the beginning of the season, it looked like they were doing something different, but then... We were watching the games and we were noticing, like, wow, they've, they're just resorting to going back to do what they were doing last year. Mm-hmm. And that's why teams could just break in with impunity and just kill them on the rush because they already know what the team's going to do. Yeah. And back to Shane's like, yeah, we break in against you guys every freaking time. 
Yeah, and Craig Anderson's just like, oh shit. Oh shit. That's got to be one of my favorite quotes. Like, yeah, Craig is like, oh shit. <laughs> what about uh, Great Christian Mellow? Great Question Mellow? I'm glad that they've actually given. I know it's not exactly the most creative nickname of all time, but it's better than the usual hockey name. Like, it's better than just calling him Melly. Melly. I mean, you know, nobody can be like Hot Sam Bacho, but uh, one thing I wanted to point out from that video, and it actually makes a lot of sense in retrospect when I think about it, is that Chris Weidman was the most vocal out of that whole group. And I've really noticed this past season that the Ottawa Senators really haven't utilized him as well as I thought they should. Yeah, it's weird because there'll be like games where Chris Weidman goes out, scores two goals, and then stapled to the bench. Mm-hmm. Well, I know even against Tampa, like he was bench. He was the seventh defenseman in favor of Christian Yaros. Yeah, well, Yaros, like, like is making bad rookie mistakes. But even worse is like they're. Borvietsky and CC are still somehow allowed to play, and they're probably two of the worst defensemen in the entire league. Yeah, well, I know that somebody on Twitter, I think it might have been Capital Gains, that he tweeted out that gif of Victor Hedman scoring against Ottawa on Saturday night and showing, oh, here's Chris Weidman trying to catch him. And I'm watching, like, no, that's Cody CC trying to catch him. Yeah. I just, yeah, I do feel for, I understand why, like, all those guys are frustrated because, like, Pretty much in that car, you have Ottawa's talent. My, the only real talented players on this team that weren't there were Thomas Shabbat. And, no, Shabbat was uh, there. Oh, oh, Shabbat was in the car? Shabbat was the guy. Yeah, he was riding bitch. He was in the middle seat. Oh, uh, okay. The only guy who wasn't there was, was Stone. Mark Stone. And Mark Stone was the one who had to answer those questions. And that's another question I wanted to ask you. What did you think about the Ottawa Senators forcing those players to not answer the media for that video. Honestly, I I don't think it makes that big of a difference. No, but I mean, you know, I'm watching that and even since Twitter's going, well, why is it that guys like Boro and Stone and these guys not even in the video are the ones answering those questions? Like, they weren't in it. Yeah, well, maybe they just, I don't know. It's like, there's this weird thing when it comes to, I don't know, I don't, I don't really know what it is, but Part of me looks at Sen's leadership, and it's like, the only guy who really deserves the... Like, you have two guys that deserve the A, and two guys that are just kind of riders. Yeah. Like, why, why the hell does Borvietsky have a letter? I don't know. I mean, when Chris Neal had the A, you can understand that, because Chris was a vocal player on the ice, and he also served a purpose, where Borvietsky, as much as I'm, I'm... I don't hate on Borvietsky as much as a lot of people on Sen's Twitter do. I do feel that he is, at best, a seventh defenseman, but again, I don't know why he has an A, and I totally agree with you on that. Uh, one more point I wanted to bring up to you before we head on to the games is what do you think about the reaction of social media regarding the video? Because I feel that all of social media, from Ian Mendez to ourselves, even Ray Whitney and Mike Commodore, former players, have came out and said that, really, like, why are we making this such a big deal? Like, this goes on all the time. Yeah, and like... Honestly, I'm pretty sure everyone has ever has at some point complained about a dumb thing their boss has done. Yeah, or their coworkers. Coworkers, yeah. Like that's just it is what it is. And but the thing though is like, like I definitely agree with them. But the other side, with all the shit that's gone down around the sen- the senators, a swirl in a teapot becomes a tempest. Mm-hmm. And this is just the latest string in bad media. However. 
the organization didn't do themselves any favors. No, they didn't. But the one thing I and I do have to praise them on is that they did get those seven players in a room with the coaching staff, and they may have sorted out their differences. This is something that, even when you look back at the last year, even with like Randy Lee and Melnick's comments and some of the things that's going on with this franchise, the team was really slow to co- to comment or even do anything about. So maybe this was their answer, given that they knew Sense Twitter was going to bury them if they did nothing about it. Yeah. Well, I guess the other thing is, honestly, I'm a little surprised they didn't... I would have... Like, I know if I was the GM, I would have clear, I would have cleaned out the assistants at that point. Like, the results aren't there and the players don't like them. Buddy, I don't need strike three. Yeah, but the thing is, is that if they let those go, Melnick still has to pay them. Yeah. And maybe that's why, the, the, that's why guys like... Guy Boucher and some of these guys are still here because Melnick knows he can't afford to pay another head coach because how many head coaches have we fired since 2012, 2013? Oh, you mean 2008. I was trying to be generous. Yes, you're right. 2008. Remember John Paddock? Remember Craig Hartsburg? Remember Corey Clouston? Remember Paul McLean? I remember the Paul... Remember Dave Cameron? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, remember when we thought hashtag the system was a good thing? We even had a chant based on the movementarians. We did. Thank God we never went with that. Or even that yeah. idea to do the Uber video intro for this episode. Yeah, I remember like seeing that. I'm like, oh, this will be a funny idea. And then like the more I thought about it and the more that I tried to put pen to paper, I'm like, this is going to be really cringy. Let's not do that. Yeah, and even I was suggesting, I was like, well, let me have a look at it. Maybe we could try and salvage it. But you even, but you made an argument. You said, look, I don't want it's it. It's I, I don't want it. Exactly. I don't want this to become a thing. And we don't need to make it more of a thing than it already is. And honestly, the more I think about it, the more I actually wish I tipped that Uber driver when I was in Calgary. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry, Tim. I didn't say anything bad about you in the, in the truck. Don't worry, I tipped the Uber driver. My man. Okay, Tim, now that we've got top of the hour out of the way, let's go on to talk about the four games this evening. We've got the Lightning versus the Senators. We also have the Devils versus the Sens, the Golden Knights versus the Sens, and the Sens versus the Lightning. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Lightning versus the Senators. This is a 4-3 Lightning victory in overtime. Lightning goals were scored by Braden Point, Yanni Gouda, Matthew Joseph with his first NHL goal, Cedric Pequet. Sens goals were scored by Cody Ceci, Max Lejoie, and Bobby Ryan. Shots were 45-23 for Tampa Bay. Bobby Ryan gets Ottawa on the board first to make it 1-0. Lejoie scores on the power play to make it 2-0 Senators. Cedric Baguette scores for Tampa Bay to make it a 2-1 game on this on a scramble. Matthew Joseph ties the game for Tampa Bay with his first NHL goal at 2. CC actually does something right for once. Scores to make it 3-2 Sens. Braden Point ties the oh, game at 3 tall. with 26.4 seconds left. And Gouda wins it in overtime to make it 4-3. Now, I had to condense watch this game because, and I don't think I actually mentioned this, I got a new car this past weekend. 
Nice. Like, not this past weekend, but the week prior. I was actually in Surrey on Sunday getting my car, so that's why I didn't get a chance to watch this game. And the game was on TV on the ferry, but there were no seats available. And that's something that really chaps my ass about the BC Ferry is that people who... Excuse me, people who put their bags on the seat so they take up two seats other than just putting it on the floor. Tell them to move their shit. I would, but I was too tired to, you know... Well, that's your own fault. But, yeah, I couldn't watch this game either because it was on during the card tournament. Okay. So, overall, uh, I I thought Ottawa's offensive game didn't look that terrible, but defensively, they were worn down with Tampa Bay's offensive attack. Uh, The one play I do want to talk to you about was the Girardi hit from behind on Mark Stone. That was a missed call, despite Cody Cece scoring. Yeah. Although, again, it's... What are you going to do? Yeah. But still, I mean, the fact that if he had not scored and they didn't call that, I would have been pissed. Oh, for sure. But, uh, yeah, again, I didn't watch the game. What I can tell from the... Looking at the stats, is this is a game that Tampa really took it to Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And, like, Ottawa came out swinging in the first, and then just kind of sat back. Yeah, it was not great, to be perfectly honest with you. And, I mean, again, this is going back to what we're, we've been saying, right? Is that Ottawa's defensive play really let the team down. Yeah. And. That's what you get when your total defensive spending is less than $10 million. Yeah, when your top paid guy is Cody Ceci. And, uh, but then your defensive forwards have been pretty shite too. Like, quite frankly, yeah. McCormick, Pyatt, and Payarvi have been god-awful. Yeah, and PRV was somebody who you and I both praised when he got re-signed. But yeah, like they have not been great. McCormick, another player who I sort of praised last season, has been not been great. Uh, Nick Paul wasn't great. Uh, for I mean, Alex Formatin, he's young, so I kind of gave him a pass. But he was sort of unnoticeable in the games that he played. But understandably, well, not everybody, game. not everybody can be the real American Brady to Chuck. Mm-hmm. But Formatin looked. I thought Formenton looked great in his last game. Like, once he finally got his legs, he looked fantastic. And I'm expecting good things out of Formenton. But, yeah, it's funny because, like, we've had some very good performances out of players and Ottawa players this year. We've had some very bad. And, like, I've been very happy with, like, Dezingle, Duchesne, Stone, even Bodker, Tierney, Ryan, and Colin White. I've been very happy with the rest of the forwards. Meh. Yeah, Colin White's actually surprisingly been a player that I've been really impressed with lately. And given that I don't usually give him a lot of praise on the show, because usually I watch and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, there's something missing with him. But, you know, in the last several games, I think he's been very, very productive for the Senators. Yeah, and like if he can keep on, if this is what the real Colin White looks like, I think we're more than likely going to get a second line center out of Colin White than a, a third line center. Yeah, absolutely. Which is fantastic. And let's talk, like, this will probably be more for the Jersey game, but Ottawa's youth movement's been fantastic. Absolutely. And like I said, you know, uh, Shabbat's been great. LaJoie's been great. The Real American, Brady Tachuk, has been great. 
yeah, like Ottawa, if it wasn't for like the fantastic year that Peterson's been having, Ottawa would probably have the top three contenders for the Calder. I know, isn't that crazy? Because I mean, yeah. we have Hot Sam Bacho, who's currently leading for all defensemen. He's twenty-one years old. Yeah, he's fourth in NHL scoring in total. Yeah, I was walking around like hot shit there the other day thinking about that. I was like, yeah, picked him in my fantasy draft. Everybody scolded me for it. Who's laughing now, fuckers? Yeah, and like, he's going to be, like, we knew he was going to be good, but I don't think, we have, I have no idea how good he's actually going to be, and that's frightening. Absolutely, man. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. So, Tim, should we head on to our second game of the evening? Yeah, and this is one that I wish I got a chance to watch. Let's talk about it. Devils versus Senators. This is a 7-3 Senators victory. Devils scores are scored by Taylor Hall, Kyle Paramary, and Travis Sajak. Sens goals are scored by Mark Stone with two, Colin White with two, Hudson Bacho, Ryan Dezingle, and Magnus PRV. Shots were 42-39 for the Senators. Ottawa dominated this game with their strong offensive attack and energy, which took its toll on New Jersey despite starting the game, stifling Ottawa's offensive attack. New Jersey couldn't get much going in this game, though they did score three times in this game. However, they were flat-footed, and overall their defensive woes is what gave Ottawa the advantage. I'm not going to lie, this is one of the best games I've seen Ottawa play all year, despite the fact that Jersey came into this game tired. Yeah, well the nice thing is, like, Ottawa... They put, they put their foot down at the beginning of the game and didn't let up. Absolutely. I mean, that stone, uh, that stone white line, buddy, that was something else. Oh, let's, or Hot Sam Bacho had himself a fucking night. Three points, one goal and two assists. Matt Duchesne, three assists. Mark Stone, I feel, was the best player with five points, two goals, three assists, five points. And hell, even Colin White, like I said, player who I don't praise a whole lot, had two goals in this game. I've been really impressed with that game. And even watching it, I'm thinking, oh yeah, you know, we'll probably eke out a win. I did not expect that. Yeah, like I didn't think Otto would be able to burn down a barn quite like that. And Ottawa's best players led that night, like 100%. Like Thomas Shabbat had a ridiculous amount of Corsi events for, like when he stepped on the ice, good things were happening. Not even Tom Pyatt could drag him down. No, absolutely not. Cody Cece and Tom Pyatt were probably the only players that were bad. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Shabbat had a fantastic game. Stone, Duchesne, DeSingle, fantastic. LeJoie and Dylan DeMello played excellent. Yep, and we also can't forget another great game by Craig Anderson with 30 saves, even though he left the game earlier in the third period and didn't return. It's almost like we're it's becoming a cliche to say that, that Craig Anderson had another great game. Yeah, and it's nice to see that Anderson is having the bounce back season. Absolutely. I think he is, in my personal opinion, one of the main reasons that we are currently one game above 500. Yeah. And honestly, it's giving the rookies and Cody CC room to grow. And honestly, I'm like, I think this season will be a win if Ottawa's first isn't that good. And we see a lot of growth out of like LeJoie, out of LeJoie, Shabbat, Colin White, Brady Kajuk. Like, I think those are our goals for the season, and winning these sorts of games is what's going to do it. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Thomas Shabbat and that move that broke Nico Hersher's ankles. Because 
dirty. Wow, that was something else. I mean, really, the only sound that I could make that would really impress me was this thing. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter in the airport, and I was just like, ugh, nasty. And people were looking at me. I showed them, it's like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's all I could say was just, oh, my God. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, man, Shabbat's vent. Oh, that guy's going to be freaking fantastic. I know. I love that somebody tweeted out that they wanted to buy a Shabbat jersey, but they were unwilling to support Melnick. And I said, I wanted to buy either that or a Tatuk jersey, but still, Melnick. Yeah. He's the reason we can't have nice things. I know, but, like, I'm honestly starting to see, like, seeing the way that, like, Sandstrip and Joseph are thinking about it. Like, I, I 100% get where they're coming from. Because, like, what's the boycott actually going to get us? Uh, worst case, like, move team is kind of the potential there. But it's like, yeah, it's like I hate Melnick so much, but we're pl- you're doing a staring contest with one of the most stubborn person people out there. Yeah, it's just, it's there's tough. not much you can do. Exactly. I'm thinking, maybe, honestly, maybe just go out and buy the Shabbat jersey. <sighs> I'll, I'll wait on it. I'll wait on it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll see at the end of the year. I'll see at the end of the year. Maybe I'll rethink my, my stance. But at the moment, I'm sticking with it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, actually, one thing I want to comment on before we head on to the third game. I want to give Alex Marchant, Sens DJ, a huge shout out because he used Stone Cold Steve Austin's theme on the Mark Stone Gold that made it 4-2. Oh, baby. Tim, can that you give me a, awesome. Tim, can you give me a hell yeah? Hell yeah! Ah, oh, that's beautiful. Alex Marchand's fucking awesome. I know. We should get him on the show. That'd be great. Yeah, like, his music... Mi- I don't know. I love his music mixes. Like, it's a lot better than the shit they put on at the Saddledome. Let's just say that. Yeah. I mean, you know, Alex Marchand, he's not nearly as good as the guy who did the outdoor game, but he does pretty good. Oh, I like him. I like him, too. Yeah. Let's move on to Vegas. Let's do it. Golden Knights versus Senators. This is a 5-3 Golden Knights victory. Vegas goals are scored by Jonathan Marchessault, Shea Theodore, Nick Holden, William Carrier, and Pierre-Eldouard Bellamar. Senators goals are scored by Matt Duchesne, Ryan Zingle, and Hudson Bacho. Shots were 42-30 for Vegas. Vegas dominated Ottawa in this game. Ottawa couldn't get much going until the third period when they tied it at three. Vegas came out hard with a strong offensive attack, which they let up on the third period and were able to secure the victory. Now, Tim, I could go on and talk about many things in this game, but there was a certain gentleman that made his return. Yep. Can you guess? Hmm. Is he a real American? Or should I say, are you ready, brother?
that's enough. That's enough. Oh, that's pretty solid, man, given that it only took me, like, half an hour to put that together. <laughs> and give or take, I mean, I didn't, I don't have Audacity on the laptop that I made that with, so I'm kind of impressed how that actually sort of turned out. Really? Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the real American, Brady DeChuck and his DeChuck Maniacs. Honestly, he was a non-factor in this game. Yeah, first game back, what are you going to expect? Yeah, it was kind of sad, really. But not as sad as that Belmar 5-3 goal, which should not have counted due to goalie interference. That was a bullshit call. Honestly, they have to talk. They really have to talk about uh, what goaltender interference is at the upcoming GM meetings. Because I know it's been Ottawa's been on the weird end of every goddamn call this season, but that one was... Like, in the text of the rules, I kind of get it, but... He stayed down so long that I don't think that matters. Mm-hmm. Like, this this is more egregious than what happened in Arizona. Like, this call, that that was so blatant. And now that that's off the table, like, the message seems to be, like, there is no consistency here. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like in the NFL with the uh, what is a catch rule and what is a hit. Now it's in the NHL. What the hell is goalie interference? Yeah, and it's like I like the idea that you can go back, challenge something, and make sure it's get, you've got it right. But if you can't do it consistently, you've got problems. Yeah, exactly. And that's a massive issue that the NHL is having, and it shouldn't be having these sort of issues. No. And like, yeah, they need to sort things out and quickly. And maybe it's make a simpler a rule with less gray zone, or honestly, just save video review for like plays. Like, well, I guess goaltender interference is a play to use goal. <sighs> like, I just don't even know what what to make of this because it's like I like the idea of video review, but if they're going to get it so wrong so often, maybe the game's better off without it. Yeah, Craig Anderson once again faced a high number of shots in this game. I don't, again, this is going back to their defensive play, and really, if this continues into, say, January or February, Craig Anderson's going to wear down quick. Yeah, no kidding. And, like, that's the hard thing, though, is, like, you can't have Shabbat and DeMello out all the time. No, absolutely not. But, again, their defense has to be better because Craig Anderson is having a bounce-back season, and we're going to wear him down real fast if this continues. For sure. Because given that he's, what, 37 now, 38 years old, like, he's not young anymore. And from what we saw yesterday, we know Mike McKenna can't do it. Yeah, so, I don't know, the defense has to change. Well, the defense has to change, and the problem is it's... Beyond Shabbat, DeMello, and the better days of LeJoie, what do you got? Exactly. It's not Borvietsky and CeCe have been a freaking tire fire. Yeah, and that's putting it lightly. Yeah, like, whenever I'm doing a lot of the visual inspection of statistics for these games, I'll often look at uh, Blake Curdy's score-adjusted shots against inverted versus score-adjusted shots for, and it has four corners, dull, good, fun, and bad. A lot of times, you'll have to extend the scale of the chart just to fit Cody CC on. 
in the bad corner. Mm-hmm. I have seen some of those charts because people have tweeted those out. And even now, I don't under really understand analytics. I'm not totally against it, but I don't really understand it. I kind of look at it and I'm like, even as somebody who doesn't understand analytics, I'm looking at that like, okay, this is bad. That's the nice thing about his charts is they're very readable. But yeah, it's like, this is bad. Cody CC gets way too much ice time. Although that game, Thomas Shabbat played almost 30 minutes. Let's talk about Shabbat because once again, this is almost like becoming a cliche of us saying it. He looked like a seasoned vet once again. He was calm in his own end. He was able to create scoring opportunities, and he got the tying goal. Mm-hmm. Which is surprising, because he wasn't even having a particularly great game. No, that's true. He actually wasn't, more than I think about it. Yeah, like, he was on the wrong side of the shot clock. Well, not so much as our boy Cody Cece, but it was still a rough... Like, Shabbat was having a rough game, uh, but he still looked good. Yeah, uh, and that's all we can ask of him, right? Because he yeah. is such a young defenseman. Yeah, and I was lucky that Dylan DeMe- Dylan DeMello was having a good enough game that, like, the weaker part of Shabbat just wasn't showing as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, but I think the Shabbat-DeMello pairing has been very strong to start the year. Yeah, I've been really happy with it. Now, I would have been happy if it was Carlson and Shabbat, but... You know what? That's not happening. So I'm happy with how DeMello has been playing with Shabbat, and I'm happy with Shabbat overall this past season. Yeah. Honestly, I, the way that Tyranny and DeMello have been playing, I think I can make peace with that trade. Yeah. I mean, given that both those guys have more goals than... Carlson at the moment. I mean, fuck. Cody Ceci has more goals than Carlson, and that's just very depressing. Yeah. I remember we were talking about doing, like, an Eric Carlson report as a Easter egg in episodes, but he's just... Been, Eric Carlson's been really fighting it this season. Yeah, maybe it has a lot to do with the fact that he has gone from being the guy to a guy on a good I team. Know. I really have no idea what to make of it. I don't know. Maybe the system... Maybe he doesn't fit into their system. Maybe, or maybe it's just, it's taking time for him to get his head, like, his head into the space, or, yeah, like, it might just be a hard headspace for him to get into. Yeah, exactly, given all the bullshit that he went through in Ottawa the past nine years. Yeah. Maybe that was just him readjusting to San Jose. Hopefully he can do well when I see him in February in Vancouver, but we'll save that for another episode. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I guess that's our Eric Carlson Easter egg. There you go. Right in the middle of the episode, buddy. Boom. So but I got yeah, no more comments on this if you want to go into the fourth game. No, it really was. This Ottawa just didn't really come to play until until they got until that Dezingle goal put the life in. But then I think uh, that goaltender review just broke the back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was, it was like a game. Like, they were playing well enough to come back and even deserve the win. But yeah. then they didn't get it. Yeah, absolutely. So it was Tim, just a bad first period. We started this episode talking about the Lightning versus the Sens, and we're going to end with the Sens versus the Lightning. This is a 6-4 to four Senators victory. Sens goals were scored by Matthew Shane, Bobby Ryan, Ryan Dezingle, the real American, Tachuk-a-mania, Brady Tachuk, Mark Stone, and Colin White. Lightning goals were scored by Matthew Joseph with two, Braden Colburn, and Victor Hedman. Shots were 34-28 for the Lightning. 
overall a pretty exciting game for both Ottawa and Tampa Bay, who got a number of scoring chances throughout the game. Tampa Bay dominated the Senators in the second period, which put them up by two goals until Ottawa got a number of bounces going their way in the third and were able to come back to win it. This is yet another storyline that we're talking about, is the Ottawa Senators completely shit in the bed in the second period and bouncing back in the third. But I felt like the Sens, like, they, like, after that awful second they got out, they weren't, like, they, they weren't behind the eight ball. So they definitely gave themselves that. And, like, Tampa Bay only really got, oh, wrong Tampa Bay game. Yeah, Tampa Bay managed to tie it up, but nothing really more than that. Right. Sorry, well, sorry, they went up two goals, but then Ottawa just, they played a ground out that third period, and, like, you could tell that they were really in it to win it, and they looked fantastic. Yeah, and, I mean, it also helps that Tampa Bay whiffed on a number of chances in that third period as well. Yeah, but, like, after that Kachuk goal, there really wasn't that much doing for Tampa. They had, like, one fit of life about near the 10-minute mark, but after that, it was Ottawa the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Craig Anderson and Andre Vasilevsky. I felt that both of them had solid games, all things considered, because I think Vasilevsky was like an 868, say, percentage, and I don't know what Craig Anderson was, but I don't think it was any better. Uh, Vasilevsky was at 824. Okay. Well, our boy Craig Anderson was at an 857. They faced a shitload of good shots. Yeah, and they were, you know, despite the score, I do feel that they played a solid game. Yeah. You may, like, you may argue with me on that, but I feel, from what I saw, no, I thought they played solid. Like, all the shots, like, both teams' defense, they played running gun. Victor Hedman was awful. And that's something you don't hear very often. Mm-hmm. Like, you know the usual spot that they eco for Cody Cece? Yeah. That was Victor Hedman's. That was the sort of game he was having. But all of the good, most of the chances were in tight or by the face-off dots. And if you're facing, like, 20-some shots from the slot, right. only letting in 10 is pretty damn good. And what's really funny is uh, none of Ottawa's goals were empty net. Yeah, that's kind of nice, to be honest with you. Well, it was funny because, like, Tampa pulled the goalie. Ottawa really shut them down and then drew a penalty on top of it. And then they scored on the resulting power play. That's that's kind actually really funny. And I just thought it was, like, from about, from that, like, the first period and the third period were just, they the Sens played hard and grounded. And ground out a win. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the Tachuk White Stone line because that line got four points. Stone had a goal, Tachuk had a goal and assist, and White also had a goal and assist. I thought they were fantastic in this game. Oh, they were caught. They were wreaking havoc wherever they went, and it was fantastic. Although at the same time, like I'm a little surprised Shabbat wasn't on the scoreboard because he was on ice for four of those goals, mm-hmm. and he looked good doing it. Yeah, but I mean, this game really proves that you don't need Shabbat to score six goals a night. Yeah. Duchesne and Tzingle looked good, too. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I felt that they had really good games as well. Mm-hmm. And then Bobby Ryan has actually been quietly putting together a solid season. Yeah, he's somebody who... I know that Sen's Twitter likes to get on him every now and then, 
I think there was one of the games that somebody had tweeted out that he looks like an old man playing against kids out there. But that's not the game that he plays. He's more of a setup guy. And like you said, he has been putting up a solid run as of late. And he's been mm-hmm. quietly doing really well for Ottawa. And I haven't complained about him, so that's pretty good. No, and I'm quite happy. Uh, and it's nice because like, there's a lot of players this year on Ottawa who are willing to rake muck. And Brady Kachuk is chief among them. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely the sort of chaos that Ottawa was missing. And like, just watching like Colin White, Thomas Shabbat, sorry, Colin White, Brady Kachuk, and Stone gleefully descend on the net and just forcing all of the attention on three guys just pushing the net while moving the puck beautifully. That's going to get you beautiful sh- like shots where you want the where you want them to be and you're going to be taking high danger high danger shots quite frequently and in that game that's exactly what happened and just and then watching like the other thing that was really nice to watch that game is just the pat the break like watching stone and white on the breakouts mm-hmm. is beautiful just watching tape to tape passes and like when you're passing well it's it's amazing where the puck goes. Exactly. It's like it's a lot like watching Duchesne and Dezingle out there a little bit. Yeah, well, they were fantastic on the puck last night as well. Like, I think as far as the the main forward pairs, like, your main, you've got your Duchesne-Dezingle pair and what looks like it'll be Mark Stone and Kachuk looks like it's going to be a thing. Yeah, I hope and, that that line stays together of Kachuk, Stone, White. Yeah, because that looks like it's they're going to be raking beautiful mud, and it's going to give other teams fits. Yeah, because you've got that but- like that it- like Mark Stone's incredible hockey IQ, great ability to steal pucks and set up plays. Brady Kachuk's just absolute glee going to the net and caught wreaking pure havoc. Mm-hmm. And then you've got and then <laughs> you've got Colin White who can do a bit of both. It's going to be fantastic. Absolutely. And we're going to be back next week, Tim. You and me both, buddy. Oh, yeah. So, Tim, I got no more notes on this game if you want to head off into the close. Um, yeah, I think I've talked about everything. I guess one thing that we can note uh, is just we were talking about the power play and how it's just it always gets broken on the rush. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, that was Tampa's power play goal. Yeah, pretty much. Because I know that we even said that somebody had tweeted out, I think it was Capital Gains, saying, oh, look at uh, Weidman getting exposed versus Hedman. And I says, nope, that was CeCe. Although... Because Weidman was the seventh defenseman in that game. Yeah. Although, to be 100% fair, I think we should get credit where credit was due. Cody CeCe actually had a pretty decent game. He did. And I remember watching that thinking, wow, like he's not having a terrible game out there. No, he was on the right side of the shot clock, which is actually very impressive for Cody CC. So let's hope he has more games like that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I guess we should head off into the close, eh, bud? Yep. All right. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you enjoy it because, believe me, Tim and I love to record them for you. Give us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We are on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash ThirdLightPlugSenseCast. 
And because our bod Dave made the mention, we are on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger, and I'm at Great White Gipster, G R 8 W Y T E Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about this game, choose an email, Third Line Plug Sensecast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so we've got three games to talk about for next week. We've got last night's game versus the Florida Panthers, Thursday versus the Detroit Red Wings, and Saturday versus the Pittsburgh Penguins. Should be some interesting games to talk about, although that Panthers game was rough. Well, there's one positive note that's coming out of this week. Ooh. Drake Batherson's called up. Oh, I am so ready. Brent Wallace just uh, announced that on Twitter. Yeah, I am so ready. He's been he's been freaking phenomenal in the A. Are you saying that your body is ready, Tim? My body will never be ready. Until next week, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this is Tim Jancy. Go Sens, guys. So long, my time here is up. They're going home!